trending news right now. Two minutes past four, if you've just joined us here on SFM Sound Awake. Let's look now at what happened or what's happened in social media in the last uh, 24 hours. Mandisa, good morning. Happy Thursday to you. Good morning, Asanda. Happy Thursday to you too. I hope you've sorted out your driver's license because there's been an issue now in terms of that. Uh, those who are <laughs> lagging behind, <laughs> there's a deadline that's looming of March 2022. And the chances oh. are this time around it's not going to be extended. The Road Traffic Management Corporation has given us a warning. Are you sorted? I'm sorted. I was one of those who actually was part of, I can't even remember the year. I'm sorted for about, I think, three more years. It was the year okay. that there was a strike at the licensing department and, and there was a delay with the licenses. So I went through that pain, but, you know, I, I sympathize with everybody who has to who has to, to go through this process again. Yeah, at least you're one of the diligent uh, citizens then. You sorted. That's good. <laughs> Okay, let's talk today. Hashtag coalitions. Political parties holding press conferences on hung municipalities. This, obviously, I think I saw this coming, that it's going to be deadlocked uh, because political parties are not giving in to their demands. But uh, what can you tell us here? I think just just like every other South African citizen, you're just watching this uh, unfolding and, and it's just giving me more of a sense of what was happening in 2016 when we first started to see you know the clear majorities that the ANC had held for the longest um, for the longest period in the democracy. Sort of, they were slipping. Those those majorities that they habitually had. Um, so you know we've seen some of those problems, especially in in my uh, recent memory. Just remembering Nelson Mandela Bay municipality being one of those uh, metro- metropolitan municipality being one of those big ones um, that ultimately just you know just collapsed into instability. Um, And so we're seeing more of that inability of different political uh, parties, the inability of them to actually just overcome their own political um, objectives, to actually focus on the work of doing local government, um, of prioritizing the tasks of local government. So the thing that's on my mind right now is the changes that have happened today, these quick ones where... You know, just as we were going into these elections, um, a number of parties were, were, of course, having statements about the ANC and how they were particularly not going into coalitions with the ANC um, and, and, you know, and the DA and other parties that they had these specific antagonisms um, against. But one of the interesting ones is the IFP today, which, you know, in a matter of hours I saw today, where they'd previously said we'd never go into coalition with the ANC. And now in Guazulu Natal have gone now, been, you know, have now gone and changed their position in a matter of hours that I saw today. Yeah. Um, the EFF, and, and though, has not changed their, their stance on that. They are closing the door. They've closed the door on talks with the ANC. Does that put the ANC necessarily in a position that is not favorable, or you feel they can still go ahead and do what needs to be done? I think, you know, just the ANC has, of course, um, slipped, but the ANC still has a number of majorities and uh, has a majority in a number of municipalities. So they're just dependent on, on which other parties they could, they could bring to the table. Of course, actually, say is not one of them. Um, the Patriotic Alliance is one of the big stories um, of today. Um, I think specifically just because Gayton McKenzie seems to have, you know, given us the theme of of what we think is wrong with local government in his statement that he's he's about power sharing, not principle sharing, and that this is all about getting jobs for my people and you know so basically my constituency, my party members. It's about it's about that getting jobs, getting money, and not necessarily about sharing principles with our political partners. And 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 again, it's just it's just 
gives us a sense of what our political principles are actually after. And it seems not to be about actually delivering services. The general public and the general citizens are at the ground of this tug of war happening between these political parties and hung municipalities. So what will this mean then in terms of service delivery? How, where are we going to end up as the citizens of this country? You know, there's a, a very, you know, it's a, the acute thing, as you mentioned, that citizens are going to be experiencing the, the, the instability at an everyday level. Um, we're experiencing that at a national level with, with issues like water shortages um, and, of course, you know, electricity delivery and all of these kinds of big national issues. But the LGE system, I think people need to, we keep needing to remember this. And I think this debate with the recent debate with Gareth Cliff on Gareth, Gareth Cliff's show, um, where uh, I think one of the, what is it, the one, the one South African movement um, candidates, independent candidates, brought up the issue of race is actually an issue for LGE. And why I bring it up is because the LGE system actually was developed to address historical inequalities that we inherited from apartheid. One of the massive changes in the new dispensation in 1996 was that it was actually supposed to do this, was supposed to address inequality at the local government level. So what we're going to see is really just the deepening of these historical issues because um, was it, as our most recent, um, was it, we recently had our first inequality study in South Africa that actually said that access to services is actually helping to, to address the inequality issue. It's not, of course not... Um, addressing it quickly enough, but that is one of the key key strategies for addressing inequality. So what we're going to see is just the deepening of those issues. All right, let's take a, a short break and then we'll talk hashtag IPID. We continue with our trending topics, looking at what's happened in social media in the last 24 hours. Our time now, eight minutes past four. Trending news right now. Continuing our chat then with Mandi Sampulo, social commentator on trending topics. Hashtag IPID now, Mandisa. Investigations have gone into a police officer that shot an, a guest at Milders Rift Lodge. Allegedly, this guest was being unruly. The issue started when he was fighting with management at that particular lodge. Then the police were called to intervene because even security could not contain the situation. What exactly happened? Um, just exactly as, as you've described, and, and I just went, I, you know, one of the reasons I avoid social media is issues like this. It can be quite emotive and just quite, uh, I think, just emotionally stressful. Yeah, because so that video did watched, not need to be doing rounds. I don't know what, what's, hap- exactly. what's happened to us, honestly. Exactly. And and so, you know, it, this video actually just shows this this man, a white man, um, you know, uh, having an, an altercation with the police, a number of police officers at the door. And, and I remember hearing um, uh, one of the police officers, who's a woman, saying, you know, stop playing, now you're playing dangerous because the man goes and grabs a gun in this video. The man is, 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 is only wearing a small little speedo, um, you know, he's, he's practically naked, goes and grabs a gun and cocks the gun in, in, in front of the police. And then says, um, who's playing dangerous? You effing cowards. Come on, you effing a-holes. And, you know, it's just this. And, and you know, what struck me about it is you, you, you're remembering, for instance. So, yes, the police have shot, have shot this man and there's, a, there's an IPID investigation into the shooting. But the man actually provokes these cops and says, you know, shoot me. And then the cops responds and shoots, and shoots the man in the head. Um, and the man is allegedly now in a coma. 
But why I say this is one of those one of the reasons I avoid social media is because we've seen videos like these where um, where the police in, in in other instances have been have been wrong um, uh, have wrongly uh, shot shot somebody. In this case, this person has actually provoked the police. Um, and what it brings up for me is just you know just the disparity in the way the police treat different people. There in are reports video, that also this man and and he's not I mean he's alive he's he's in the hospital. That he disarmed one of the police officers. Is that true? Um, I haven't seen that. I have not seen that report. But I think even without the issue of him disarming a police officer, had I, I just I you know I've seen police respond differently in other situations, and I just think about the luxury of this particular person to actually antagonize the police in this kind of way. And and I just you know it 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 just brings up those kinds of issues about who behaves in a particular way um, in relation to the police and how they are treated. Um, and I don't I wouldn't like to go more deeply into that, but I will say that you know it's it's a it's a shocking it was a shocking thing to see a citizen behaving in that manner towards the police. When we think about the stories we've heard about our police our police service. One of the things I'll just bring up, this isn't necessarily SAPS, but last year we had, what is it, Collins Kosa being killed by the South African National Defense Force. We've had the issue of Andrew Sadani in 2011. So we know that there has been a particular relationship that the police have with South African citizens, but I'm just curious about the why this man felt he could actually behave in this way towards the police, and, and I wonder if race is not actually the issue. And I, I, it, it is a very disturbing video just to see the level of audacity that this man displays towards the police. It would seem, though, that the anger emanated before the police even arrived because there was a, a clash with the lodge in Milders Drift, the staff there. What was making him angry there? Like I say, I, I'm, I'm going to have to go um, more deeply into this issue. It seems that the people were having, you know, if there was some um, people were drinking and, and having a good time, and this man particularly just became rowdy. I, I haven't gone more deeply into it. Like I say, this is one of those issues that I avoid just for my own mental mental peace. Um, but a reminder just to say that um, this this incident particularly is interesting in the broader context of, of the way the police re- responds to, to South African citizens. I'll just bring one thing up just to say that we should be thinking about this in the context of um, a report that I've seen this year, specifically in August, that shows how South Africa actually scores um, above an accepted threshold level for the use of force, um, where the South African police are using force against South African citizens in South Africa. Um, one of the things this report brings up is that there's a disparity kind of in a sense of the way the police treats citizens, considering that um, the ratio between police deaths and the deaths of suspects of civilians is so skewed in, in, in unfavorably towards citizens. So ultimately, citizens die 12.6 times more in interactions with police than police do with interactions with the public. So this is a very interesting story in terms of the norm in South Africa, basically, is that the citizen is on the back foot. But in this case, you're seeing this man and uh, with a display a particular level of audacity to the police, and that raises questions for me about about specifically the way we view we view the state, how we view the police, and and how we view our own power in relation to it. And I think race in this particular one is a very interesting thing that will come up as we as we um, unpack this issue in the news. 
I'm curious as to why he would go into a lodge with a gun in the first place as a guest. I mean, that also for me is another focus area where we need to talk about gun control and what is the status there when it comes to South Africans and the ordinary South African. But, I mean, we understand the manager asked the guest to leave, saying that uh, they would refund him. The the lodge didn't want him there. Uh, But he, well, the reports from that side of things is that he became more aggressive. The wife, allegedly, of the victim was there as well. Well, he's a survivor. He's he's not dead. He's in hospital. Mm -hmm. But she was Mm -hmm. present there when it all happened. Has anyone spoken to her? No, but I've just, uh, no, like I said, this is very fresh issues. So I've just heard her in the video making her comments, and, 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 and I, I don't know much about the wife. Um, but like I said, the, the, the thing to focus on, like I say again, is, this, is exactly this relationship we have with our police service and the relationship well, one, that we One have of with the us. things to, to focus on. Let's talk yeah, hashtag yeah. Cyril Ramaphosa then. So the president has launched a new social employment fund. And this is said to create about 50,000 new job uh, opportunities. Uh, tell us how this will work. Well, ultimately, he's, he's now committed another 800,000 to creating more, um, 800,000 rand towards creating new job opportunities. Um, it's going to be a, it's a social employment fund um, that, will give, that will give unemployed people part-time work two days a week. Um, and the and the quota is just basically that it gives participants time to to develop structure skills and networks associated with participating in work. Um, so it seems to be just more of what what he's done with his um, with the Yes program, which is the youth employment uh, youth employment service program, which has created I think 67,000 jobs um, so far. So this will be like I say another uh, well not jobs, but job opportunities, another 50,000 job opportunities. Um, and I think for me, of course, I contextualize this with the broader um, history that the ANC has had of its promises of, of addressing unemployment and just remembering that, you know, just over the years, um, in 2009, the ANC's manifesto said basically that they were planning to, to halve unemployment and poverty by 2014, I don't think we've seen that. Um, unemployment, they, they had said they would reduce, um, um, uh, like I say again, uh, to, sorry, they'd said they'd reduce it to 25% by, by this time. But this is, of course, something we haven't seen. We've seen number, unemployment rising to 34.4%, the official definition, expanded de- definition, 44.4%. And if you're a young person, your unemployment rate is closer to 75% as only a quarter of young people are actually in jobs. So I think for me, this is part of just we need to be holding the AMC accountable for for the promises they've made about creating employment and actually just questioning this, this statement of job opportunities. What does that mean? Is this just a chance to, to start creating networks, as they say? So it's not actually a real job, not a job that someone will, will be able to continue. It's just an opportunity to create networks. And so I think it's more just kicking the can down the road. And I think, you know, I mean, it's great that, that, they, that they're making an effort, but I wonder how meaningful this effort is, considering that um, if we look at one of the, the overarching goal of South Africa is to achieve its 2030 goal for the NDP of having unemployment at 6%. We are now in 2021, going to 2022, so we're going to have eight years to achieve that, reducing unemployment to 6%. That is, um, so ultimately, you know, it's just more 
statements where what we should be, I think what the public should be focused on is holding the ANC accountable for the promises it has made to monitor the progress um, that we've made against those, those promises and, and ultimately to think about what we can do about accountability measures. Well, on a more positive uh, experience side, I mean, that becomes also a cry of the young people not being able to be placed in job opportunities. This will at least tackle that. There will be some employment experience for these uh, young people entering the job market, even though we are saying it's part-time. So so there's another angle to that. Uh, we need to take a short break, though, but I, I do want to just put uh, forward that this is going to be a collaborative you know, effort when it comes to the implementation of this social employment fund. Uh, the organizations are going to have to work with uh, the uh, government in making sure that work is created, as they are the ones who give out the work. And what do you foresee then in terms of the challenges that will result as uh, that partnership or collaboration? Let's take a short break and then we'll answer that. This is SFM Sound Awake, 20 minutes past four. Trending news right now. So what are the challenges you're seeing emanating from the collaboration of the Social Employment Fund with organizations there, Mandisa? I think the number one challenge will be just the position that corporates are in this year, specifically just coming out of COVID and, of course, their own internal issues with employment. Um, If we look at just in the past year, some of the key figures that I'm looking at are that the finance industry lost, you know, 278,000 jobs, community social service, another 160,000 jobs lost, manufacturing, 83,000 jobs lost, and you can go on and on and on. So there have been job losses across industries. Um, And I'll say just we need to, I'm thinking about this in the context of the structure of our economy. If we think of it as a, you know, in, in three, in sort of three tiers. So you have the primary economy, which would be your extractive industries, your resources, your secondary economy, which will be production, manufacturing, and your tertiary economy, which is services. And generally, the story that I've seen unfolding over the past, let's say, 15 years in South Africa has just been effectively the, that the primary and secondary industries are not doing as well as, as they have in the past. I think one of, the, one of the terms we've been hearing over the 27 years has been the de-industrialization of South Africa, so the loss of manufacturing capacity in the country. Um, and considering that the tertiary industry where services are is the, is the industry where we've seen um, some, some you know, green shoots, some some um, positive news. But that is specifically located in financial services, which which is leading which is leading is leading that, that tertiary sector, which is ultimately leading our economy then. Um, and so considering that the tertiary sector is about services and about high skilled employees, considering uh, against the skills profile of workers in our country, I just you know, I, I don't want to be bleak. Um, I don't want to be, um, but I'm, I'm just, you know, looking at the structure of our economy and saying, with the kinds of, with, with these losses in the finance industry of jobs within their own corporates, um, I, I just don't see what, what kinds of opportunities will be meaningful, particularly for young people who don't have that high skills attainment. To, okay. to, to maximize jobs in that sector. Let's move on to hashtag Uganda now. A triple suicide mm-hmm. bombing there has uh, heightened fears of uh, jihadist threats. What is the damage in terms of deaths and injuries? Um, as far as the last count I saw, it was about 33 people dead and five injured, if I'm correct. Um, and this 
this attack has been claimed by well by ISIS, but actually more like a a uh, sorry a, a group that's allied to allied to to ISIS called the Allied Democratic Forces, the ADF, um, that has taken responsibility for this bombing in Uganda. Um, and just some of the reading I've done, just to get a bit of history on this organization, that you know this is actually a continuation of, of some attacks that have been happening in this region, Uganda, last month in October, where they they um, uh, they they perpetrated a bombing in a cafe um, that killed that killed a waitress and injured three other people. Um, and I think this, as far as I've read, this this organization has also been active in the DRC. Um, and ultimately seems to be, in one of the reports that I've read, there seems to be a link between them, and um, I just want to be very accurate about what I say right now, um, and Al-Shabaab, where it seems to be there's actually you know, just a broader link with Islamic militancy. So for now, what we do know is this, it is this ADF that is linked to, to ISIS and is operating out of Uganda and, and the DRC. One has to wonder if this is linked to what's happening in Sudan, and we know there, Uganda being a neighbor of Sudan. Mm. So there is the Allied Democratic Forces, the ADF, as you say, and also Al-Qaeda, uh, sorry, Al-Shabaab also there. But we know mm-hmm. that also on the border of Uganda with South Sudan, the rebel group, the Lord Resistance Army, has been active there. So could we link this to what's happening in Sudan? We know there are relations. Um, right now, tentatively, the, the reports that I'm seeing are, are like I said, just being uh, just being a bit cautious about about creating those broader links. But uh, you know, this this is just part of a broader story, as we know, of what is happening in the region um, with Islamic militancy, and that has been happening for for a very long time, for at least 30 years in, in Uganda. As I see this, this particular ADF has been around since 1996. So you know there are broader contextual uh, layers that will come as 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 the days pass. But for now, um, these are, this is these are the facts as as we know them. Who would then be the best intervener in this case? If we're saying let's move away from Uganda and South Sudan in terms of finding solutions, as they have mm-hmm. relations uh, between, I guess, DRC and Kenya, who would be more uh, equipped to to stepping in? Because this. What's happening in Sudan is impacting on Ugandan politics, as no, no, well as course, the economy. Not, yeah, yeah. No, I wasn't saying we shouldn't look to to solutions in in in, in that region. I'm just saying that um, the links are still being made right now, and 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 so, like I say, the reports have just been quite cautious about about ex- expanding expanding um, the connection between ADF and these other groupings, but ultimately. Um, this would be one of the one of the region. It would be obviously be a regional issue and requires a regional solution um, in the first instance. But uh, is part of a broader story as we see some of these some of these groupings are making their way down the continent into areas like Mozambique and 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 in other areas. So this is a continental issue. But of course, the first uh, port of call would be the region itself. So between DRC and Kenya, who's more equipped to intervene? <laughs> Um, well, I mean, is, obviously, this uh, is just your opinion. We're not asking for yeah. research. Yeah, no, absolutely. Which is why I'm, I'm quite tentative to, to 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 give an opinion. It would just really be conjecture at this point. Um, but considering that this is an ongoing issue, like I say, for for these for these regions, um, you know, this is I don't know who is who is best equipped for it. And ultimately, this would be require collaboration between all the different states who are affected by it. 
All right, let's leave it there then. Thank you so much for joining us and a happy Thursday to you, Mandisa. Thank you and you too. Mandy Sampolo, social commentator, discussing what's happened in social media in the last uh, 24 hours as part of our trending topics uh, feature.